So if you're here, just go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's give our attention to God and pray for his presence to really just kind of glow and shine within us as we get through this lesson today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to wake up and see a brand new day. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing every single one of these ladies to be here today, to listen to your word, to be able to learn about Rhoda in the Bible and using people who may feel that they are insignificant for your kingdom purposes. We thank you in advance for allowing this message to just seep into our hearts and our spirits, trusting you and allowing us to know that with you, we can do anything. We're grateful for all that you've done for our families and for our lives. And we ask that we just feel the power of your Holy Spirit as we get through this lesson and that you speak to each of us individually about what you want us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, ladies. So we're going to go ahead and start by opening up our Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 12. The book of Acts is in the New Testament in the Bible, so it's towards the end. And we're going to go ahead and read from there. About the time King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. Now, during those days were the days of the unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers to guard him intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, okay, the night before he was going to be executed, he was going to be killed, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries and in the front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up. Then the chains fell off of his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap up your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, but he did not know what took place through the angel. He wasn't sure if it was real and thought that he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. Okay, the gate was an iron gate that opened by itself. They went outside and passed one street and immediately the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all the Jewish people expected. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked on the door in a gateway and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice. And because of her joy, she did not open the gates, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. You're crazy, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true. 
Then they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Monitoring to them with his hands to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have come of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and then ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Okay, so may the Lord add a blessing to the reader and the hearer of his word. So you weren't able to catch all that happened. Just a quick summary. Peter was sentenced for execution. He was aware that he was about to get killed the next day. And he was sleeping between two guards. And an angel came in and broke him out of his cell. Not only did he do that, but he allowed him to escape through the gates. And he went to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother, and a servant came to open the door, but she didn't let him in because she was too excited. And then she went back and told everyone. But the key here is that the people who were at the house were all there praying. They were praying for Peter to be released. They were praying for some sort of change to happen. And so that is what we read about. So let me know what you think in the comments, what your thoughts were about the fact that he was released in this way in the prison. Do you think it's just like impossible? Do you think, you know, I want to know your thoughts. I don't want to put thoughts in your mind. What do you think about what happened to, to Peter in the prison? And I want you to consider this to be somewhat of a miracle, right? Supernaturally, he was able to break free by an angel. And this leads me to the theme of this lesson today about Miss Rhoda is that God can God can. No matter what is going on in your life, just understanding and knowing that God can. And that's on period. <laughs> when we think about some of the names of God, he calls himself, I am, right? And that is so powerful. Just those two words, I am, because God is. And that's on period. Like that's it. God is. He is everything. He's your provider. He's your safety. He's your source. He's your hope. He's your love. He's your comfort. He is anything that you need when you need it. He is I am, period. And because he's I am, he can. He can do anything. And there's nothing God cannot do for you when you are a child of God. And a lot of times we as God's children underestimate his capabilities. Like we will say that we love God and we trust God, but we don't remember who he is when little things kind of pop up in our lives. We don't remember that he is, I am. And so if you take nothing else from today, I just want you to remember those things that God is, I am, and that God can, period. So one thing that's absolutely important about this particular story is the fact that the people were at home praying for Peter. He had a ton of people. We don't know how many, but 
people who are part of the church. And when I say the church, I know this for me was like a very confusing topic growing up. When I think of the church, I think of a building with like church people in it. The church are Christ followers, people who are believers, who believe in Jesus. They are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a group of people who attend every Sunday. The church is anyone who is considered a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ. So you, if you are God's daughter, you are the church. We are the church. Does that make sense? So people who are part of God's church were praying for him. And I want you to remember how important it is as we talk today about how important it is for you to know that God needs people. He needs you to be able to pray and make things happen here on the earth realm. And he's given his church authority to be able to change circumstances by relying on heaven's power. Okay. He has given us the free will to make heaven move on our behalf. You know, the Lord is loving and kind and perfect. And the most beautiful thing about God is that he gives us free will. He does not make you do anything. Everything is your choice. He gives you boundaries and things that he wants you to do. But ultimately, he doesn't force anything upon you, including prayer. But your power is in those things. And if you don't recognize the power that you have, then you're not going to access it. And you can't possibly live the life that God had for you if you're not aware of what you have, which is power. And one of my favorite scriptures, which is part of one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible, which is the Lord's Prayer, for those of you who don't know, in Matthew chapter 6. In the Lord's Prayer, which I'm sure everyone here has heard before, right? It says, let thy kingdom come and let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many times we pray that prayer and we just pray it through without thinking about what we're actually saying. That prayer is so powerful. And that line is one of the most powerful lines that you can ever pray in your life for an actual change to happen. And I talk about this a lot in my series, The Esther Anointing, about how often I say that particular line. And when I say that line, it's literally me taking a moment because I kind of, you know, rush through that prayer to remember that what I'm doing is I'm asking the kingdom of heaven to come down on earth. You're asking for heaven's culture, lifestyle, influence to influence this earth, to influence your life, your day, your body, your marriage, your family. You're asking for heaven's culture to infiltrate that. And the Lord wants us to do this every single day to bring heaven down to earth. And this is so important, especially when you're in a situation of crisis. This happens all the time. And funny enough, because I feel so strongly about this, there's lots of situations where I'll try to kind of um, teach people in the moment. I remember when we were moving my cousin, um, my husband was driving one of those like U-Haul trucks to lug some stuff around and the car wasn't starting. It was like an old truck and it wasn't working and he kept starting it and starting it and starting it. And I just told my cousin, I was like, 
we should just ask the kingdom of heaven to come down and deal with this truck. And he was like, man, what are you talking about? And I said it. I said, okay, we're just going to pray. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done. Let the kingdom of heaven infiltrate the situation. And as soon as I said it, he started it up and the car turned on. And my cousin was like, what? Because obviously, you know, he's a believer. He prays his prayer, but he'd never really seen it that way. And that is what I do in any situation where I have lost control, whether the fire alarm is going off because I burned some food and it's stressing me out. It's so loud. I ask for the kingdom to come, heaven's culture to come and take over that situation. And another thing I want you to remember is that angels watch over you. I know we don't always talk a lot about angels, but every Christ follower has at least one angel, at least that watches over them. And angels are not these tiny babies with wings and arrows and bows. That That is not what an angel looks like. That's not an angel's position <laughs> to just be cute. Angels, if you study the Bible, are God's army. Okay, you are not God's army. I know a lot of songs say that. A lot of preachers say that. Like, we're the army of God. You are not the army of God. The army of God are the angels. He has his own army. And they're the ones that do the heavy work. So God has angels that literally look over you every single day. They follow you. They watch you. They protect you. And if you read Psalm 91, which is a really great Psalm to read if you're ever scared, if you're someone who has a lot of nightmares, if you're ever in a situation that's just bringing you worry or fear, you're scared of COVID, you're scared of all these things, Psalm 91 is the prayer that I would say, pray every single day and stand on those promises. In that Psalm, the Lord says, I will give my angels charge over you so that you will not strike your foot upon a stone. He will tell his angels to look after you so that you are safe and protected. Angels are not small. <laughs> There's different kinds of angels, and we won't get so deep into this, but angels are huge. They are people who have been able to supernaturally see angels. They are like as big as a palm tree, an apartment complex. They're huge. If you saw one, you'd probably faint. Um, they're not tiny, and they are armed. They're armed with swords. They're, they're fighters. They're protectors. And, you know, some of them were also messengers. We also have some angels that are like you and I. They're, they're people here on earth. So angels have jobs to do. And one of the jobs is getting you out of circumstances. And I do want to mention, for those of you who are curious about angels, if you want to learn about angels, read the Bible and look at the different angels that talk to people, that fight, that rescue people. And you can kind of see in those situations, how angels work. Um, but don't become obsessed with angels. There are some people who truly are obsessed with learning about angels and seeing angels and wanting to be around angels. And the thing is, they're not to be worshipped. They're not God. God is the only one for you to worship. They work for God. And they're beautiful when they show up in your life and something happens, but it's not by their doing. They're following orders from your father who loves you. And your father is the only one that you should worship. So just be careful not to get obsessed with the whole angel idea. They're just doing a job. And they are important, but they're, again, they work for God. 
And also, you know, just know that there's a lot of information out there about angels, even things like angel numbers and things that are literally witchcraft that I just hope no one ever gets involved in because that stuff will literally keep you in bondage. Like it'll obsess you to the point where you you can become paranoid and it's just not true and it's not good for you. So be careful online. If you want to look up things about angels, again, look them up in the Bible, not on Google, because you will come across so much nonsense and you can really go down the rabbit hole with that. And yeah, like I said, there are some angels here that look like you and I, that are like, there are people in the sense where they're in a human body and they do God's work. So the Lord says in Hebrews, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. So there are some angels that you could actually meet. And how would you know that they're an angel? Because the Lord will reveal it to you in your heart. After that encounter, you will get a, a sense from God that this person wasn't any regular person. Right. And it's really interesting. Leave me a comment if you've ever had an encounter with an angel in any way where the Lord revealed it to you in your heart that you met an angel. And let me know, like in the comments, like what happened and, you know, how did you feel after the fact? And again, remember that even if you are someone who's had an encounter with an angel, that angel was sent by God who loves you to be able to communicate with you or to help you. And going back to the story about Peter and the people praying, again, I want you to understand how important it is for you and I as God's children to pray together. As God's children, we have so much power individually, but praying corporately or praying with another person is so powerful. That's how you get things moving. If you really want to see things moving, it's important to get together with other believers and seek his faith. The Lord says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, for when two or three gather in my name, I am with them. So God tells us that when there's two or three people who are gathered in his name, two or three people who identify as being children or followers of Christ, and praying together, agreeing on something that he's there. He's promising his presence. He's with us right now. Okay. There's more than two of us here gathered in his name. God is here. He's with you right now in your room, in your car, wherever you are. He's here. That's a promise. So it's important that you agree with other people who love God so that you know that you're praying while God is in your presence. And there is lots of power when you pray with other Christians, when you pray with other believers. And we actually talked about this last week, right? When we talked about Queen Esther, that was an example of the power of prayer. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to watch that video. But with Queen Esther, she had the Jews in the town fast and pray with her so that she could approach the king, right? So this was an example where she needed a reversal. She needed more than just her own prayers. 
Not to say your prayers are not important or that they don't matter because they absolutely do. But when we're talking about something super serious where you need God's intervention immediately, you want to pray with other people. If you know someone is very sick or if you know that there's a law that's going to be passed that you absolutely know will harm people, get together with other people and pray about it. There's a lot of churches that... um have like prayer nights. If you look it up, it doesn't even have to be your church, but there's churches that do it on the phone or on Zoom or in person. And they have actual prayer nights where people come together and just spend the whole time praying. I have never really attended one because it wasn't really interesting to me, but I ended up doing it maybe a couple months ago, a few times. And it was so powerful. And you could feel the heavy presence of God. You could feel that sense of like unity because one thing that is so beautiful about being a Christ follower and being reborn is being with other believers. Because you and I know in this world, most people aren't in the sense that even if people say they're a Christian or they talk about God, doesn't mean that they're born again doesn't mean that they are living for Christ. So when you're with people who have a heart for God, who love God, they are your family. That is your real family. Yes, you have the family that you were born into. That family was given to you for you to develop as a person and grow. That is not your actual family. Your family are the people who love Christ just like you and are living in their purpose for God's glory. Those are your real family members. And there is a special bond and a special spiritual connection that you get when you're around people who have the same heart for Christ. So it is a beautiful thing, even if you don't go in person, to pray with groups of people. And it's always great to pray with people, different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. You get so much out of that. So let me know in the comments, do you pray with anyone? Do you ever pray with anyone? Or are you always praying by yourself? And this can be your spouse that you pray with. You can pray with a friend. If you have a family member, you know, my family, I don't know how many people are really saved. But I do have two that I know for sure are born again. And they are the ones that I love to pray with because I just get it. And it's not awkward. And they're, you know, trying to live spiritually clean lives. So I know that, you know, God hears and they're the ones I reach out to. It can be your child. You know, it doesn't have to be a little child. It could be a teenager or a grown child. You can call them once a week and just say, like, let's pray together. Just want to pray for you. Let's just pray about this together. It can even be a coworker. This happened with me a few times where we had some serious cases we were dealing with and we wanted and needed God's intervention. So praying together was really beautiful. And again, for those of you who've never done this, it is a beautiful spiritual relationship when you have someone in your life that you can pray with. It is such a different relationship than being just friends with someone or being dating someone or being married to someone. When you pray together, there is something spiritual that really bonds you in a deep way. So I would recommend that you do that. And it's 
nice when you can kind of schedule something because it is difficult with our busy lives sometimes to make time for this. But some families will have like, okay, Tuesday nights after dinner, we're going to pray together as a family. Or maybe you and your husband, before you go to sleep, you're going to pray together. But you can schedule times like with your friends or with people that you um, work with, like at lunch or something and say, I want to, let's pray together every Wednesday and make it into something consistent. So I know we're doing quite a bit of talking. <laughs> we can go ahead and get into this book, but please let me know. I want to know in the comments, do you pray with other people? Because I find that a lot of people struggle with doing that. It's something to really think about. We're going to start on page 137. As Rhoda slipped into the main room of her master's house, she once again heard the murmur of many voices. More than a dozen people were scattered around the room, some kneeling by themselves on the floor and others huddled in groups of three or four. Rhoda could sense the tension in the air, a heaviness pressing down against her spirit. We are fighting, she thought, but what if we lose? Moving softly, she heard snippets of whispered prayers as she set foot, as she set food and drink on the low table in the center of the space. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we seek your face. Bind up the work of Satan in Jerusalem. In the name of Jesus, we bind up the work of Satan in the prison. In the name of Jesus, we bind up the work of Satan in Herod's household. Your Holy Spirit is with Peter now. Please send your angels, Lord Jesus, to release your servant from bondage. I'm going to really just kind of surf around, okay? Her work finished for the moment. Rhoda returned to the main room and knelt down outside the ring of visitors. She closed her eyes and tried to let her thoughts drain away. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. A sinner, she whispered. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. A sinner. A new sound pricked her ears, and she looked up in surprise. Was that a knock? No. I want to talk about this woman named Rhoda because it's possible you've never heard of her. But first, I need to explain what was happening in Acts chapter 12, which is where we find her in scripture. The earliest days of the church were turbulent in many ways. After the events surrounding the crucifixion, the religious leaders in Jerusalem believed that they had solved their Jesus problem. We've struck down the shepherd, they reasoned, and the sheep are certain to scatter. But that didn't happen. Instead, the sheep, the earliest followers of Jesus, began telling everyone who would listen that Jesus was alive. He had risen from the dead. Then the sheep began performing miracles, the same kinds of miracles Jesus himself had performed. All of a sudden, there were more and more sheep everywhere you looked. Sometimes thousands of people were added to the church in a single day. The movement was growing exponentially. Later, when the church continued to grow, the religious leaders in Jerusalem got serious. They arrested more of these Christians, followers of the way. They locked entire families in jail and kept them there. Then, as described in Acts chapter 7, they arrested a young man named Stephen and charged him with speaking blasphemy against God. Instead of jail, they stoned Stephen to death. No more playing nice. It was time to nip this movement in the bud. That's where Rhoda entered the picture. 
After Peter's arrest, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem gathered together to pray. They stayed together for hours, pouring out their hearts before God and asking that Peter's life would be spared. Rhoda was inside that house, but she wasn't one of the leaders. She wasn't one of the wealthier folks who had church services in her home. She wasn't even married to one of the church leaders. No, Rhoda was a servant. She was a a staff, an employee. The text simply describes her as a servant named Rhoda. One of the things I love most about the Bible is the way that it consistently and unashamedly elevates the status of regular people. Rhoda was a servant, yet, as we'll soon see, she took part in a miracle. God loves regular people, the kinds of people who are typically pushed behind the scenes of society. People like Rhoda. God not only loves such people, but he understands their value. He understands their uniqueness and their unique contributions to the world. If the Bible were written today, it'd be filled with Uber drivers and kindergarten teachers. We would read verses about plumbers performing miracles and custodians casting out demons. The Holy Spirit would reveal the gospel through the fingers and the lips of immigrants and grocery store clerks and baristas and factory workers. Because God understands the value of ordinary people like Rhoda. Taking it even further, not only does the Bible lift up the value of ordinary people, but the Bible highlights exactly what can happen when ordinary people pray. People like Rhoda and those who were with her when Peter was in prison. Because when ordinary people pray, they gain access to extraordinary power. So I want to talk about the fact that sometimes those of us who feel like we're not important in society also believe that we're not important to God. And the enemy lies to us to have us believe. We sometimes just stop praying. We sometimes stop believing because we believe that our status here is a reflection of how God sees us. And it's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy that he wants us to believe. And we tend to believe that other people have special power, like priests and pastors and important religious people, that they're the ones that truly have the victory, the power, the privileges, and the abilities. And that is also a lie. One thing that I love, love, love about the Bible, just like Pastor T.D. Jakes was saying in the book, is that the Lord always used ordinary people to raise up his people. And I want you to know that God loves you so much, regardless of your status here in this world. He does not care about that. He cares about your heart. So it doesn't matter what you do or what choices you've made. He still loves you and he still wants to use you. He has a purpose for you. He wants you. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived before. I know so many of us, we feel like we can't really be loved by God and be used by God because we have a past. We have a lifestyle. Some of us don't even have a past. We're still doing it right now. So whether you are a stripper, a housekeeper, a sanitary worker, a sex worker. It doesn't matter if you have a criminal history, what 
whatever life has thrown at you, it does not change the fact that God loves you. It does not change the fact that God has a plan for you once you're able to accept him. And the thing is, not only does God love you, but he needs you. And I know it might sound weird to think like, why does God need me, right? I need him. Well, you do need him, but he also needs you. The way that God moves here on this earth is through people. Yes, he could, if he wanted to, make money fall out of the sky. But, you know, he's not going to do that. Not with this society we're in now. We wouldn't believe it anyway. He's not going to, that's not how he works. He works through people. So he needs a person who has a heart for children with autism to donate $5,000 to a foundation. Or he needs a heart of a person who loves him enough to hire that grocery store worker who has autism over someone who just looks like they'd be a great worker. He needs his people planted in places to make those decisions because who's going to hire this person who may not have social skills? It takes a special person to see the beauty in that person and still hire them anyway. It takes God's people, people with the heart of God, to be able to do these things. And he needs you to do it, right? So he it's very difficult for him to bless people when he has no one to use. Sure, he could send angels down, but an angel is not going to give that young lady with autism a job unless she's an angel who God has placed here for that reason. He doesn't need angels to be doing that. He needs you. And this just requires you to be obedient. It doesn't matter if you don't have any formal education, if you're an immigrant, if you don't feel like you have the right clothes and speak in a certain way. That's not important to God. That's important to us here on this earth, but not to God. And so just know, once you give your life to Christ, that's when your life begins. Before you are born again, you're dead. And what that means is you're not really living your life yet. If you have not accepted Jesus as your savior, if you have not been saved from the things that will kill you in this world, if you do not have a relationship with God, you are dead. You are walking around this earth, but you are dead spiritually. And your spirit is who you are, your spirit, soul, and body. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you are dead. The only way for you to actually become alive is to have a relationship with Christ, accept Christ as your savior. So everything you did while you were dead is wiped away when you accept Christ. All of your sins are forgiven. And that's the most beautiful thing. You don't have to worry about the fact that you just did a line of Coke this morning or the fact that you literally smoked a blunt right before watching this right now, or you had sex with someone you didn't know last night. Okay. Okay. When you come to Christ, all of those things are wiped away and then he can start to work on you. You don't have to get cleaned up and then come to Christ. That's his job to clean you up, to freshen you up, to change you. That's when you become alive. Everything you did before that, you were dead. And 
that's the most beautiful thing about having a relationship with Jesus. The people who judge you are people here and they have no business to judge you. They're not, they're in no position to be a judge, but they will try. You cannot give into that because God has work for you to do. And at the end of the day, he just wants his daughter back. He just wants you back. And that's all God cares about. So if you look at the Bible, God will use people who other people just discredit. When you look at the story of King David, the greatest king that's ever lived, he was the last, the least in his family when the prophet Samuel came to anoint him. When the prophet Samuel was told by God that there's a young man that I want you to find and I want you to like anoint him as king. When he came to David's house, David's own father didn't think he was worthy enough to even be considered. When when Samuel saw all of his sons, he had to say, like, do you have anyone else? Because God is telling me it's none of these people. He's like, well, I do have one more son. He didn't, his own father didn't even consider him worthy. And that happens where your own parents don't see your value. And because of the fact that they did not instill that confidence into your heart, you don't think very highly of yourself. You don't think that you're worth much. Maybe they're immigrants and they're very poor and they make it seem like this is just how we are. Even though you have bigger dreams and ambitions, they kind of make you feel like this is for people like us and don't want you to reach higher. But that's not God's plan. That's man's plan. Again, God gave you earthly parents to help raise you as a child and to teach you things and to show you things and to mold you, whether they did a horrible job or a wonderful job, they were used to shape you in some way for his purpose, but they are not your parents. Once you are a child of God, he is your father. He is your parents. He is the one you listen to. What he says in his word is for you. What your parents said is what came out of their brains. He gave them their brains. So it's important that you remember that. And the Lord does this. He uses people that people wouldn't expect. So yes, he will use a sex worker instead of using the girl who graduated from Yale because he wants you to see that this person didn't do it by themselves. A lot of people who have their own stuff, they grew up with money, they have a really high degree, they're super attractive or whatever. A lot of people think that that's the reason why they have what they have and they give no credit to God at all. Not everyone, but a good amount of people with privilege don't recognize that that privilege came from the Lord. So he will use people who no one would ever consider the most unlikely person to show you how he works and how he can change anyone to be the person that he planned for them to be. So the Lord doesn't want anyone to boast and say it's because of their own doing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, not by what you've done, so that no one can boast. You being saved, you being born again, you coming back from the death, the life that you used to live is not because you're so great, because you're such a good person, because you give to the homeless, because you care about people and you're so nice. No one is worth it. No one is sorry. No one is worthy. 
No one is worthy. It's by grace. So you cannot say it had anything to do with anything that you did. Another thing that's so important is for you to know that just once you get saved and you're born again, your prayers and your powers that the Holy Spirit can give you are just as powerful as a pastor, as someone who went to Bible school, as someone who the Lord anointed for a certain purpose. You may think that you're just any old Christian, but he gave his church, he gave his followers power. And it says it in the Bible. Okay, He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do the unthinkable. That's why the disciples were able to perform all the miracles that Jesus did, because they got the same power that Jesus has. And as a Christ follower, you need to realize that you also have power. And if you don't know, then I would encourage you to start looking up the gifts of the Holy Spirit and seeing what the Lord has downloaded into you that you haven't tapped into yet, because your prayers are powerful and the Holy Spirit needs you to understand that you have these things so that you can make moves for God. Yes, God can choose to have a person, let's say, who went to school for 10 years doing psychiatry and now is a highly established psychiatrist. That person can work with a patient and that patient can never heal, never get better. Yes, they can get lots of medication, they can have someone to talk to, but they never actually get better. Or he could also empower one of you, one of his church, to have the supernatural power of the gift of healing and be able to pray over someone or speak to someone and that person is healed of their mental illness by you, by God working through you, by his power. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with getting a degree. I mean, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a psychologist. So I'm in no way going to discredit the power of education because that's what opened doors. He would prefer that you become born again and learn where he wants you so that you can be a doctor and you will have way more access to way more people. You'll have more respect and doors open for you to do more kingdom work. So yes, he does want you to do your best to accomplish whatever he wants you to accomplish. But even if you don't, my point here is even if you don't, even if you're not Dr. Michelle, it does not mean that you cannot do the same things by God's power. God's power is more important. And if you can ever get a spirit filled anything, you're on the right track. If you get a babysitter for your child and they're a born again, spirit filled babysitter, that is always going to be better than just getting any old babysitter because this person has God inside of them. This person might be cooking a meal and the Holy Spirit might tell them, okay, this child just put something in their mouth and they'll turn around and save that child by God's power. So you always want a spirit filled anything in life if you can find one because God moves through all of his people. I want you to just remember that your prayers are powerful and necessary, especially if you are someone who truly has the gift of faith. You believe in God for certain things and you are a loving person and you pray for other people. When you do this, you will see how much your spiritual power will grow. If you are a Christ follower who prays in tongues, you will also see the power of the Holy Spirit working through your prayers for other people. 
Your prayers are so powerful and it is a beautiful thing. Once I got born again, I started to see how seriously my prayers were. Like before I got born again, I would pray for people and that would just be that. (laughs) Once I got born again, I would pray for people and miracles would happen in their lives. And the Lord, and how I would know is just people would just randomly contact me and say, Michelle, thank you so much for praying for me. This is what ended up happening. And it just made, it blew my mind because for a long time, I didn't necessarily think those prayers were really doing anything, but they do so much. And the Lord will start to show you that your prayers matter. They work. He's listening and he answers. He listens to you. Many times in the Bible, the Lord is looking for just one person, just one person who's willing to live clean and seek his face so that he can move to that person. Look at all of the one persons he used that were willing. People like Noah. Okay. He was one person who was obedient. People like Abraham. Sometimes he just needs one person. Moses. One person who's willing and he can use that person to save the entire world, to save an entire community, to save an entire organization, to save a family. And a lot of times he can't even find one person. And it says in Second Corinthians chapter 16, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He searches the earth looking for people who love him. And those are the people that he strengthens to do more and more and more. You'll see some people who just have, it seems like they just have all these like spiritual gifts and all these blessings, all these things in their life. And you're just like, wow, this one person has so much versus someone who has like absolutely nothing. And a lot of times it's because that one person really wants to live for God And they ask God for more gifts and more opportunities and more, more things. And the Lord says, yes, because I know you're actually going to use it. You know, some people want certain gifts. If you ever take the time to look up the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I urge you to, because it's so important for you to use the gifts God gave you. So many people have gifts they never, ever use. They're too scared to use it. They don't like people enough to use it, whatever. And then there's some people who really, really want it, but they want it to be able to say that they're a prophet, that they can see visions, that they can tell you what God is trying to say to you. They want it for all of the accolades. They want people to look at them and be like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing prophetess. You know, they want it to brag. They don't want it for God's purpose. They don't want it to really help people. But those who truly have a heart for God, and say, Lord, I saw this person who had cancer today. I almost cried because I just wish that I could do something for this person. Please give me the gifts of healing so I can heal people on your behalf and tell them about you. And the Lord knows this person is going to do it. If I give them this gift, they're going to use it. He'll give that person every single gift. Okay. They will have every manifestation of the Holy Spirit working through them because they love God. They love God's people and they're going to use it. So, He searches the earth to see who these people are and hopes that he can find them so that he can empower them and strengthen them. Okay, we're running out of time. We may not get through every single thing, but I'm just going to try to get through as much as I can.
it says, of course, so we're talking about spiritual bondage or just being in any sort of bondage in life. Bondage is still a fact of life today, including physical bondage. There are those, there are still followers of Jesus all over the world who wake up and go to sleep in a concrete cell. Some of them are incarcerated because of their belief in Christ. Religious persecution remains a reality. Others are incarcerated as a consequence of their own choices. Yet, others are incarcerated because of broken systems. Broken systems create broken people. And because injustice creates oppression. But the reality of bondage carries much further than courthouses and jails. There are more kinds of bars in this world than prison bars. There's a relational bondage, for example, where the very walls of your home feel like prison walls. You live in fear of what may happen if your spouse gets angry or something triggers an outbreak of rage. You're not safe. You're not protected. You don't see any way to get out of in one piece. There's financial bondage in which your lack of resources is like a tether staking you to the ground. You have hopes and dreams. You have ambitions. You want to stretch your wings and fly, but you cannot because you're stuck, locked down by everything you lack. There's the bondage of, depend- There's the bondage of dependency. Addiction is a serious shackle, no matter what the source of that addiction may be. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, relational codependency. Often your own body turns against you to the point where it seems even the ability to choose has been removed. Let me ask you, in what ways are you living in bondage? Okay, you don't have to leave a comment. You don't have to share, but you can if you want. I just want you to consider your own life. What ways are you living in bondage? Are you living in financial bondage? A marriage bondage? Some sort of an addiction? A worrying bondage where you're always anxious? Are you living with suppression? Bondage to your own feelings and emotions? Are you living in bondage of unforgiveness? Maybe things have happened to you in the past you just cannot seem to let go. Whether you can't forgive yourself or you can't forgive someone who's done something to you. Think about your own life. What ways are you being bound down to where you can experience full joy in your life? What's holding you back? Here's a principle I hope you understand and hear. If you feel locked down and chained up, and you're beginning to lose any hope of freedom, that is the time to pray because ordinary prayers have extraordinary power to free you from bondage. Here's my point. When you choose to engage with God in prayer, there comes to a point early in that process where you need to trust that he's on the case. Even if you don't see any evidence of an answer, I know that there are times when it feels like your prayers have no effect. I know that there are moments when it seems like everything you say, everything you pray is bouncing off the ceiling and falling right back down around your feet. What I need you to understand is that God is up to something. Even when you can't see what's going on, he's up to something. He, even when you don't feel his presence or his power, 
He's up to something. Even when you've been praying for months or for years or even decades and nothing has happened and you are bogged down by doubt and desperation, that is a time to trust him and keep on praying because he's up to something. Just one thing about Rhoda. She forgot to open the door. This may sound strange, but oftentimes the devil doesn't really mind when Christians do what we do. He doesn't mind when preachers preach about transformation and restoration and healing and all of that. He doesn't get worried when we gather together and sing our songs or dance on the aisles or even when we pray in tongues. He's not afraid of our small groups and our Sunday school classes and our service projects. In short, Satan is okay with church people doing church things as long as we don't open the door. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's common for God's people to get caught up in the rituals and the trappings of looking like God's people without actually taking hold of God's power. And that is what the devil fears, God's power and work in our lives, God's power to set loose in the world. Rhoda heard Peter's knocking, and she recognized Peter's voice, but she forgot to open the door. And I want to know from you, have you opened the door to Jesus really coming into your life? Because this is something that you have to do. He's never going to impose and just come into your life when you don't want him there. He's going to stand at the door and knock and say, Rebecca, Julia, Rashida, are you going to open the door? And that's the real question here. It's up to you. The Lord says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God says in his word that he will stand there and knock but you're the one that has to decide whether or not you're going to open the door for him. So I want to know from you, have you really opened the door to Jesus coming into your life? Have you really said, yes, I love you. I'm ready to be your daughter again. I'm ready to let my old lifestyle go and become born again and live the life that you have planned for me. Have you said yes? Have you opened the door? If you haven't, I want you to know that God needs you. He loves you and he's waiting and he will wait your entire life. But the longer you wait, the longer you're going to see that it takes for you to be able to have true joy and satisfaction in your life. And you're going to be so disappointed that you wasted so many years doing things your own way. One of the saddest things is, When a person gives their life to Christ so late in their lives that they don't get to see the real purpose that God had for them. Yes, God can use someone who's 75, but how much can he use someone who's 75 versus someone who's 25? Look at all the years that you can be used for. And these, when I say used, I don't mean that you're just doing a whole bunch of work. God created us and he knows that we as humans, we need something to work for. We, we want a 
sort of <laughs> payment or, you know, some sort of thanks for the things that we do. That's how he created us. You know, you give and you receive, you have incentive. The Lord doesn't just use you. He blesses your life abundantly. He gives you a life that you can never imagine when you work for him. And that is the most beautiful thing that a lot of people don't see. A lot of people just think that it's this miserable life, this boring life. And it's actually not at all. It's so much more fulfilling. You don't have to experience all of these things that everyone else experiences because you have God. And you always have an answer to every question you have, whether it comes quickly or it comes later. God's always working on your case. I once heard a quote saying, without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. And I would like to add to to that, that God can through you. So again, the quote was, without God, man cannot. We need God. Without man, God will not. He needs man. And I would like to add, God can through you. Are you willing to open the door? So with that, if you haven't given your life to Christ, this is a wonderful time for you to just say a prayer and let the Lord know that you accept him into your life, that you accept Jesus as your personal savior, that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. You believe that he is a son of God and you're ready. You're ready to be his daughter again. And the Lord will come into your life and raise you from the dead, from the dead life you've been living. With that, I want to go into a closing prayer and then I will take a couple of questions from you ladies. So you just go ahead and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this lesson that you've given us today on your power, about the fact that you can and about how important it is as children of God to be able to access you through prayer. We know that you want a personal relationship with us more than anything. We know, Father, that you are waiting for us. You are waiting and knocking at the door and hoping that we will answer. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you touch every single one of these ladies to know how much you love them and to empower them to be brave enough to open up that door to you. Father, we thank you for every miracle that you've done in our lives. We thank you for the angels that you send to watch over us. We ask that you empower us to be able to have angels help us in our situations and allow us to be able to know that there is power in corporate prayer, that we are able to find or remember someone whom we can pray with to see your power. We trust you with our lives. We have hope in your promises, and we're thankful for everything that you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you so much, my love, for being here, listening to this podcast, and spending some time with me today. I hope that the information that you heard here today will bless and open up your life for you to be the woman that God created you to be. Make sure to follow me on my Instagram page at A Feminine Impression and my personal page at Dr. Michelle Daff. Also, visit my YouTube channel, Dr. Michelle Daff, for more information and lots of video content on femininity. 
I would also love your support in purchasing my fragrance from my brand, Fine Forever, by visiting www.fineforever.com. And remember that in all things you do, make a feminine impression.